Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. High five to this section right over here. Hey, it's a good Sunday morning because I am not preaching. I'm not preaching. And the reason it's, that's a good news is because uh, my friend Justy is preaching. So Justy, why don't you come on up here? Uh, in case you didn't notice, uh, this morning at Vineyard, it is Girl Power Sunday. Girl Power Sunday. Did you notice all the girl power we had on stage earlier? We're going to continue that with more girl power. In fact, here at the Vineyard, we actually believe in girl power. We believe that it's one of the powers that you should believe in. And uh, we're putting that on display this morning. But uh, Justy's been with us for five, four, three years. Seems like five. It does. I know. Justy's been with us for three years, and she is a real smart person who teaches at the university. And uh, she's like one of those English literature people, you know? And um, she's got a great word for us this morning. So why don't you do this for me and for her? Why don't you give her a big round of applause so it sounds good? We need it to sound good on the audio archive, you know? All right, Justy, do your thing. All right. So this is the last message in the Gravity series. We're talking about, you know, people that Jesus was drawing to himself, right? Those people that were desperate for him. Um, So this morning I'm talking to you guys about the woman with the issue of blood. If you remember the first Sunday in the series, Adam talked about Zacchaeus. And then Bree talked about the woman at the well. And then last week Adam talked about the true host, or that's the... um, the uninvited woman who anointed Jesus' feet, right? You remember that one? So um, let me tell you what desperate comes from, what that means. So if you didn't know, I did Latin and all that stuff. So it comes from Latin, desperare, so like down from hope, basically. So to be desperate is to be hopeless. And so the context of what we're talking about, it's really to be hopeless for Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to make you not hopeless, make you hope again. So... I'm going to read a passage from Mark, and it's 5, 21 through 43. We've got two messages or two stories that are kind of braided together here. And so I'm going to read all of it, and I'm going to focus on the woman with the issue of blood. Um, But really, it's the same story, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So, uh, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. So he pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up to him. And she she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You can see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? 
But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they'd said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to, tell it, not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. All right. So, Jesus had just been talking to John's disciples before, this mess, before Jairus came. And like I said, these two stories, even though they seem really different, like we've got that 12-year thing going on here, we're really talking about the same story. Um, life is pouring out of the little girl and the woman, and only Jesus can heal it and stop it. So I'm going to focus on the woman with the issue of blood. She was desperate for Jesus, and she broke every taboo to get to him. I know a little bit about being desperate. I realize now that the whole time I was desperate for Jesus, and he was drawing me, I didn't know that then. So when I was 17, I went to college, and I met this guy in Latin class, right? Because that's where you meet the really cool guys. Um, so he was really kind of really sweet, but then he'd have these outbursts, and then he'd be kind and sweet again, and then he'd have another outburst. And so after this went on for about 13 months of verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and whatever else happened, I've blocked it out, and I don't remember it. Um, he punched a hole in the wall. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, better the wall than you. And I knew that if I stayed, I was going to die. That's how that story would have ended. But I called my mom and dad. And they moved me out that day. Um, so then I thought, oh, you know, I'll just meet somebody new. This will be fine. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Um, so I got on LiveJournal, because that's what you do when you're really upset in the early 2000s. And, you know, all of my bad poetry, I hate everything, God is not even here, you know. Um, and so I married a guy that I met on LiveJournal, because that's really smart, right? But he was nice to me, so I thought this was a really good idea. I think that might have been a worse situation than the first one that I was in. Three and a half years later, he went to go hear my favorite band play at Bonnaroo without me, and he decided he was just going to go get high with his friends. So I filed for divorce. And then I lost it for about six weeks. 
Uh, drinking, partying, going to bars, going to art openings, especially the ones with PBR. And then one day, I literally woke up from a dream. And in my dream, I had a beautiful daughter named Selah Afton. So I thought I'd better check on that. Sure enough, I was pregnant. I was alone. I had ostracized my friends. I had been late to work a lot during those six weeks. I had jeopardized my job. Um, I was distant from my family then because, I mean, we're talking a few years later and, like, slowly that downward, I stopped talking to them, basically. Um, And I'd really given up on church. I gave up on God because I thought he'd given up on me. Um, So there I was. I had this mortgage that I was struggling to pay. Do you remember the old Ford Taurus cars, the ones that, like, the door kind of shuts, but then it slides open? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mine did that. So sometimes when you get to shut the door, it just went back open again and just had to keep... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had that. And also when you turned it on, sometimes it didn't go. You know, it had well over 100,000 miles on it. Wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. And I was also in my first semester of my PhD program. Um, I think that's also the year that I bailed my boss out of jail. It was a really weird year. Um, that's a different story. So... I was dealing with all this and just processing this, thinking, like, who do I even turn to? Like, obviously, my boss is not the person. Um, And, like, she was it. Like, that's the only person I really had. Um, So I sat in the coffee shop because that's where I would go when I just didn't know what else to do. And I was writing on my PhD paper, like this first big end-of-semester paper. And this woman I used to know came in. And I knew her. Um, I used to do, I was part of a church plant, and I had done kids' ministry. And so I was with her um, during kids' ministry, so I recognized her from that. And so she came in, and she just, like, saw me. And she looked me dead in the eye. She said, how are you? And she waited for me to respond. And so I'm sitting there, and I opened my mouth. And I said, I need to find a church. What? Like, where did that come from? Um, I really couldn't believe I'd said that. I I had grown up in church. I had grown up not only in church, but my dad was a Southern Baptist preacher, and he was an interim. So I'm pretty sure that I was in every single church in southeastern Kentucky that was Baptist at least five times, like all of them, right? And so... I had seen what happened to single moms. I had seen how they were talked about by the deacons and by the elders and by the people that were supposed to be leaders in the church. I had seen them pitied, and I had seen them given no compassion. And it didn't matter what church we were in, it was that same story over and over. And she invited me to her church because she was going to a different church at that time. And so when I walked into the church, I felt so uncomfortable. I was so afraid. But then people did something that really surprised me. They talked to me. And, like, I was really pregnant. Like, I wasn't just kind of pregnant. Like, you could tell. Um, And 
they welcomed me, which made me really uncomfortable, right? And I even got invited to a group that met in someone's home that week. Like they did, instead of having Wednesday night church, they did midweek groups at homes. And so that group was where I first believed that Jesus actually loved me. Like that I began to see the love of Jesus through the people who would come and mow my grass when I was eight months pregnant and couldn't do it. (laughs) And even if I could have, I just would have collapsed at some point. Like it just wasn't going to happen. They installed shelves. They helped me like organize the baby room. They were even there during a tornado watch where Churchill Downs got hit. Like it was that year, right? And we were in the basement of my house just hanging out. One Wednesday night, it was great. But we had a really good time, and they taught me a lot about who Jesus was um, in a way that I never experienced in all the churches growing up. And when I was poured out, when I was empty, I had nothing left to give. I'd stepped through my fears, and I stepped out in faith to do this, to be a part of this group, to get to know Jesus with them. And so, in the story that we're talking about here, Jesus had just talked about, before this, Jesus had talked about putting new wine in new wineskins. And this is really about leaving your old life behind so you can have a new life with him and be poured into. And so your big picture with this woman with the issue of blood, um, how many of you guys have actually made it through Leviticus? Right? Yeah. So if you, if you ever do make it to chapter 15, um, it'll tell you that she was unclean. And anybody who touched her would have been unclean until evening. Everything she sat on would be unclean. And so even if someone touched something that she touched, that person would be unclean. So we're talking 12 years of being unclean, of being ostracized from society, because why would anybody want to be around her? didn't do them any favors. So she knew that if she touched Jesus, something would change. And so when she did, she pressed through the crowd. Can we get the crowd slide? There we go. So I imagine it was something kind of crazy like this. And she knew that if she touched him, she could be healed. And she was. Her spirit was healed. She felt it in her body, and she confessed to him what she'd done. And You know, Jairus is probably in this picture, too. And he was a synagogue leader, so he knew the Pharisees, probably had close ties with them, and they weren't big fans of Jesus. But he was desperate for Jesus to heal his daughter. And if any of you have kids, you know that everything changes when your kids are involved. And so on the way, Jairus sees this woman healed. And this is before the people come and tell him his daughter's dead. So he knows that Jesus can heal. And he has that to walk with, to remember, until he gets home. And so there are three parallels with our lives. So Jesus is teaching the crowds, like this crazy group of people. How many of you guys have ever been to concerts? Yeah? So you guys know at the front, like if you like push your way through, claw your way through, you can like get to the front, you can hold on to that bar for your dear life, and even if those crazy people are moshing behind you, that you're going to be okay. You're at least going to see the band. You might even be able to like, get a guitar pick from them. A couple times. <laughs> I have earrings. Yeah, 
Um, so to fight your way through, to get to the front, to be able to touch, you might get stepped on, you might get kicked, you might get knocked out. But she risked her safety because she needed to touch Jesus so she would be whole. Some people just want to see him because they heard, oh, this guy's interesting. I'm just going to hang back, see what's going on. She wanted to touch him. It was so different. But it was risky. And so the first parallel with our lives is we have to take a risk to come to Jesus. The risk might be overcoming fear. Maybe we've been hurt by the church in the past, or we've seen others hurt. So we don't trust it. Maybe we have to overcome our family. To choose differently might mean death or being disowned. This group I was a part of, there was a Somali woman who would come to our group. Her husband, who was Muslim, forbid her from coming to church, but she was allowed to come to our house, any of our houses. She could come. And so they would play the Bible in Swahili so she could hear it and understand it. And some of my friends from then still journey with her, even now that her husband's taken on another wife and disowned her anyway. But not because of that. He wanted the younger woman. It's a different thing. Or you might be frozen. Might be stuck in what happened to you. Don't know how to move forward. This woman, she's absolutely desperate. She sought Jesus, or well, she sought doctors to heal her. She poured out all of her money, everything she had went towards that. And instead of getting better, she got worse. So I know I sought Jesus through many other avenues. Um, but I didn't acknowledge that I was seeking him, at least not for a long time. And what I realized as a result of that is a second parallel with this story in our lives is that when we're seeking something to satisfy us, we're actually seeking Jesus. So, you know, I sought out coffee shops, fair trade, micro roast, really fancy, nice coffee shops with good baristas who know your order before you even like walk through the door. Um, I went to art museums uh, all over the country, Madrid, wherever, because I thought I was really cool. Uh, I don't know how many concerts I went to, but it was a lot. Plays, operas, films, lots of restaurants, especially like Indian restaurants. That was my favorite. These are all good things, and they filled just for a tiny moment. Because in an instant, I could feel that creative spark that had made these things. And that's what God was connecting to me with. But trying to get to him through those things wasn't sustainable. It didn't fill me. And I realized that these things are actually idols. And if we keep him in front, we're never going to experience the fullness of his presence. So that's culture, right? Well, I also tried those good godly things. You know, I'd, I'd grown up in the church. You go on mission trips. You do all these things. You're going to be fine, you know. Even though it's not supposed to be works-based, a lot of what I was raised with was works-based. Um, so I went on a mission trip with Campus Crusade for Christ. I was handing out dumb, dumb suckers to people that got off the metro. Es un regalo para ti, para mostrar el amor de Jesus Cristo. Because apparently giving somebody a dumb, dumb sucker... And telling them that this is a gift to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ 
That's how we were going to do that. Okay. I was a part of church plants. I joined, you know, I did kids ministry, like all the school-age kids. I would teach. It was great. Five through 12-year-olds in one room. That's an adventure. Uh, I tried marriage because good Christian women are supposed to get married. And it was just terrible. Um, it was not a good idea at that point in my life. I tried home ownership to till the land in the city. Uh, I tried full-time employment because I thought if I just have a job, I'll be okay. I'll be able to take care of myself and, oh, yeah, no, none of that. Sure, these are good things, but I didn't have time to be with God. I was too busy. So my life was pouring out. My finances and my time were just pouring out. The cost for this woman had been really great. She had spent everything she had, and she'd gotten worse. I mean, emotionally, who could she talk to? She was unclean. Who were her friends then? Physically, she was losing blood every single day. And if you've ever been anemic, you can just imagine she was probably like that all the time. Spiritually, they would have turned her out of the temple. They wouldn't let her in. She was unclean. Come back when you're not. So then there's a shift that happens after you've tried everything and you're at the bottom. So you remember Jairus, how your kids change everything? I went against what I thought to be true because I knew I needed to do something different for my kid. And so I had Selah. Her name means rest, think on these things. And her life changed everything about my patterns and the way I was going to do life. And I had to be willing to let the Lord heal me, to really do some deep work in my heart and in my life. This woman wanted healing. She'd been isolated for so long because of her condition, and she wanted to be in community again, to be seen as valuable and to be seen as worthy. And that's a third parallel with our lives. We all want healing from Jesus, to feel valued, to value ourselves, to be part of a community. We're desperate for it. So I realize now that all along I've wanted healing. And like the woman in the story, when I had my daughter, it was 12 years, almost exactly, after I'd been assaulted when I was 14. And I had suffered for 12 years as the victim. I had lived as the victim. And being a victim meant that I didn't tell anybody about it. I hid everything from everyone else. And that made it worse. The more I hid, the less I could talk to others, and the less they wanted to talk to me. And I ran for those 12 years to avoid the pain, but that made it worse. Nothing I did, no culture, no good work, none of that was going to satisfy me. Nothing was going to stop the void or the life that was pouring out of me, except Jesus. And so my desperation, like I came to that point when I was pregnant, and I could feel I had given up on everything that had been in my heart before. I was at the end of my rope. I was sitting 
at the back door, crying, trying to install a doorknob because the other one had finally fallen off. And as I was sitting in Lowe's trying to get the guy to rekey the lock, I get a text message from the guy that I was dating at the time who said, have a nice life. Well, that's one way to get broken up when you're pregnant. Okay. And man, just sitting there, no relationship, no money, no church and no best friend. That's when God shifted everything. Jesus became what I needed. And so I went from believing that there was one particular life that I should live to experiencing true life. I went from seeking my comfort in all of those lovely little ice cream boxes. I had a lot of them. And watching Bones <laughs> the whole time I was pregnant. Put on a lot of weight then. That's okay. Um, because I realized, as like through that, like the food wasn't what I really wanted. What I wanted was Jesus. And when he, became to change, when he began to change that in me, I began to have real peace. So I didn't need to go get all the ice cream out of the freezer. And he changed what I looked for, too. I went from isolation and trying to, like, you know, self-preservation and hiding myself to true community and experiencing that kind of life with others. And so, like the woman who risked everything, we have to take a risk to come to Jesus. And like the woman who sought out doctors and poured out all of her finances, maybe we're seeking something now and we're pouring out everything that we have and it's on something that won't satisfy. We're actually seeking Jesus and we need him for healing. We want healing from Jesus and we want to feel valued and to value ourselves and be part of community. And so, what's our response to this message? Well, spend some time with Jesus and ask him, what are you desperate for? Is it really Jesus? You can talk to him about that. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you've been hiding, maybe because of an emotional wound, Maybe it's something from a church. And Jesus wants to heal that place in your heart and connect with you. Maybe you're dry. Maybe you've poured out everything and you feel like everything's been drained out of you. And the good news is Jesus wants to fill you with living water and restore you. I think we've got some ministry team people today. I'm going to ask them to come up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.